Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, I come to you now by the power of the Spirit, and I ask that you would bless this time that we have this morning. Lord, I ask that you would guide and direct my words as we look at your word. Lord, I pray that you would deliver your word and your message to ears that are here, and I pray that they would be ears that can hear, and I pray that they would do that, that they would hear and take to heart your word today. Lord, I ask these things now again through Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and by the power of his Spirit. I pray this now in his name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I found the, the very end of this, when I got to the end of this passage today, just extremely sad. And I think that'll come through as we get to it. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not going to fiddle around with an introduction here. There's some things I'm going to say in a minute, but I'm going to jump right into the text. We're in Luke chapter 14. I'll have it up here on the slides, but you can uh, follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to be at verse 1. Starting off, we're just going to do the first six verses. Um, I didn't know if there was going to be a whole sermon in this or not. I was telling Paul just two days ago, and uh, it's amazing how as we dig into his word, there's just it's like mining for gold. You just find these things, and you go, I, just, I almost missed it. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. I'm going to tell you before I read it, this is going to feel very familiar if you've been with us through Luke from the beginning. Okay? And I think that's purposeful on Luke's part, and we'll get to that. One Sabbath, when he went to dine, being Jesus, at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. They keep inviting him, which I find interesting. They keep being friendly to a degree, but they have other purposes, and I think that's becoming more and more apparent as we go through the story of Luke. Verse 2, and, before, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy uh, from uh, Josephus in his historical book, The Antiquities, which he wrote not too long after Jesus was actually here. He describes dropsy as, it, it's not just one disease, but it's when the fluid builds up in your limbs. And so what I think is going to be amazing about this is that if you picture that, and if you've ever known anybody that's had that and you see that fluid start to build up and the legs get really big and a lot of times you're trying to prop up and do all kinds of things to get rid of that fluid. Um, Jesus, I think you probably know because you've heard of him before. He's probably going to heal this guy, right? And don't miss that when we get to it that this would have been a visible change in this person outwardly, okay? So this man is there. Doesn't explain, Luke doesn't tell us why he's there, why he's at this meal. Nothing is said about this at all. We just know Jesus is there, the Pharisees are there, and this man that needs to be healed is there. And Jesus, next verse, responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. It doesn't say what he's responding to, but I think that this, because this is a repeated thing again and again, Jesus is anticipating what's going to happen. It's a Sabbath. 
He responds to them and he asks them this question. He doesn't do anything yet, but he asks them a question. I think a probing question. And if you've ever been in a situation where you're talking to someone, sometimes you ask questions to try to probe and try to stir things up within them. And I think that's what Jesus is doing again. In fact, in my notes underneath this verse, I said, again. Let's do this again. Here we go again. Right? Jesus asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask you a question now. Have you ever tried to convince someone of something? You ever done that? Uh, I, I know you're all shaking your heads yes because we all lived through 2020 and uh, at this point now, and all of us have had, I feel like this has been the last, mo- the most divisive years in this, this country for at least a while, at least in my lifetime it's been. And uh, there's been all kinds of things that I've gotten into discussions and I, that you probably have, and you, because you're right, right? <laughs> oh, you're like, yeah, of course I'm right. I was right. And they were wrong. Have you ever tried to convince somebody of something when you're like, I'm positive, I'm right on this, I'm trying to convince them of something? Have you tried to convince, or have you tried to show someone where they're missing it? Let's veer off into a little bit of a different situation. Uh, I have grown kids now. Neither one of them are here at this moment. Uh, One's off married somewhere, and the other one's off in college, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but um, they have their own brains and they start making decisions about stuff when they, they were doing it before, but I could kind of like control it, you know what I'm saying? It was dad, and it's really hard then when they leave, and some of you knew this before I knew this, it's really hard when they leave, and like they start making all their own decisions about things, and let's be honest, have you ever seen your kids make some decisions, and you go, well, that's dumb. <laughs> right? You're like, what are you doing that for, you idiot? You know, I taught you better. What's wrong with you? You're not saying that out loud. Well, some of you probably are, but uh, in your head, you're like, what? But, but sometimes, let's be honest, remove the sarcasm for a minute. Sometimes you are right about it, aren't you? <laughs> Says my father-in-law. Uh, so you go, sometimes you are, but, but the reality is sometimes you are, you've lived long enough, you've seen certain mistakes, you know this, does, this is not going to end well. Have you ever in those moments tried to convince somebody and the, the, the person you're talking to, they're, they're just, they're missing it, right? They're just missing it. Have you ever tried to convince somebody when they're just missing it? They're, they're not seeing, and, and it, it feels like sometimes even as you're talking, you can tell they're not hearing it the way you're intending it to be heard. Has that ever happened? Have you tried, ever tried to persuade someone of anything? Especially something that is you believe wholeheartedly. Let's, let's eliminate out of this any type of things that are just slightly on the edge. Let's go to some real core things that you're like, I'm convinced. I know for sure this is right and this is true. And have you ever tried to persuade someone of the truth? What about trying to convince someone? And this is kind of what's implied with all the other ones. Have you ever tried to convince someone that they're wrong? Have you? Is that easy to do? In fact, in the society we live in, 
uh, trying to tell somebody that they're wrong is wrong. Isn't that right? Are you getting confused? <laughs> Which is funny because the people that go, you can't tell somebody that they're wrong, they're telling you that you're wrong, so they're doing it anyway. Everybody has truth claims that they have, and they try to many times impose those on others. So as a Christian, as we begin to make truth claims, and you have people in the world go, you ought not to make those kind of truth claims, they're also making a truth claim, right? So we're both doing it. Let's just get over the fact that we're both doing it. There's a different view of what is true, and we're talking about those things. Think. Asking all these things because I think we're getting a glimpse of Jesus again trying to persuade the Pharisees that they're missing it. They're wrong on something. How they viewed and interpreted God's word, they've missed a key point. They're right, and in fact, sometimes if you have somebody that's right on so many levels but missing a key point, doesn't it not, does it not make it even that much more difficult to persuade them that they're wrong. In fact, you've been on the opposite side of this. You ever been on the opposite side of this? Somebody's trying to show you where you're wrong. And what do we tend to do? We start to point out all the ways that we're right. It's very difficult to persuade someone that they're wrong. Now, I'm talking about this for two reasons. One, I think, is because of uh, this is what's in the text, but also because of this thing here. Okay? Now, anybody know what this term means. Excellent. I knew somebody would have it. Good news. It literally means good news. Okay? Now, here's the thing about good news. The news isn't all that good if you don't listen to, understand, or believe the bad news. Okay? One of the challenges that we face when we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel... Right? That's what the gospel is. It's the good news of what Jesus Christ did. Humanity is fractured from a relationship with God that happened right after creation. We have all been born into a world that is sinful. Our only hope, because we are sinful beings and sinful cursed beings at this point, is righteousness before God because God is a righteous judge. When God reveals himself to Moses, God, Moses says, reveal yourself to me. God reveals himself. He shows him a glimpse of his glory, but he also makes a pronouncement. He says, I'm compassionate and merciful and loving and kind and forgiving. But then he also says, but, but not ignoring or letting trespasses or sins go unpunished. See, there's an issue with a good, righteous judge. And God is a good, righteous judge. He does not let the guilty go unpunished. There's still crimes that have been committed that need to be paid for. God knows that none of us can take care of that issue. It's an infinitely terrible thing to rebel against an infinitely good God, and we have all done it. And Jesus Christ, as God in the flesh, came to this earth, lived a righteous life from birth all the way up to death, the Bible teaches us that he took the full penalty of wrath, God's righteous, just wrath that you and I all deserve. He took that upon himself, and he says there's an exchange that I'm going to offer. 
I would like to offer my righteousness for your sin. I'll take your sin upon myself, my righteousness I give to you. And the way that is imparted to people, because it was not imparted to everybody flat out, the way that it's imparted to people is by God's grace through faith. For we are saved by grace, God's unmerited favor is what grace means. We are saved by grace, and it happens through this thing that we call faith. The faith doesn't save you. You're saved by grace. It's exhibited through faith or trust in him. That's the outward visual aspect of what we can see about this saving grace is we now have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this again. That news isn't all that good if you don't listen to, understand, or believe the bad news. Don't listen to because some haven't heard the bad news, that they're sinners. Okay? Don't understand. I put this here because those who haven't, they've either not really heard the bad news or they've heard it but haven't really processed it. That's a common one in our country. A lot of people think, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, there's some really bad and there's some kind of bad. They're mostly bad. I'm just sort of bad. Right? I mean, there's whole religions, many of them that have ceased to exist on this planet, but there are entire religions that based the afterlife on that scale. You ever seen one of those scales that weighs things? And people have thought, and some people actually thought, Egyptians thought this. I think there's a lot of other different cultures that believe that in some way the afterlife was, what, what your afterlife was going to be determined by was a, a weighing out of the good and the bad. The problem with that is that your bad, even one aspect of your bad, is worse than you may think. That's the bad news. You have committed high treason. I've often used this example uh, of God's innocence and his greatness and how it affects what sin looks like. Imagine, if you will... I've used this example before. I walked over to Paul and just popped him, smacked him on the face. I'm not going to do that. I promise. Even if it's, it would be a fun illustration, wouldn't it? Have you ever seen that competition where they do that? They just smack each other. It's a competition. Crazy. Say I went over and did that to Paul. Now, that's pretty bad. I probably shouldn't have done that. Let's say, let's, let's, instead of Paul, let's say it's somebody that has a little bit more importance right? A politician, or maybe I'm in a country that has a king or queen or some version of royalty. Would the consequence increase based on the importance or greatness of the person? Yes, it would. I smack Paul, my consequence may be he smacks me back, and that would look ridiculous, a little smack fest. I'll punch him instead. Um, I go up and smack a politician because I don't like them, and some of you are going, amen, don't say it, no, we're not, we're not smacking politicians, I'm not promoting that, and you do that, you could end up in jail, if you're not careful on the way to do it, you might get shot, okay, the consequences can increase by greatness or importance, now multiply that infinitely great God. Your crimes against him 
are of a much different degree. Does that make sense? Now let's add another thing on there. Go back to punching Paul. Go over and punch Paul. You might be sitting there and go, well, he may have deserved it. I don't know. <laughs> right? Go over and punch somebody else. You go, well, they, may, they might have deserved I don't know. I don't know. He may have done something bad. But, but let's say I punch somebody that you know is innocent. Does it seem worse? I mean, say Paul did something to me, and I wanna, I'm like retaliating. You might be like, oh, he probably deserved it. Punch him. But if, if, he, if somebody's told you, now let's, let's increase the innocence a little bit. Oh, this is going to be disturbing. Is Darius here today? No? Yeah, he's back in the back. You little Darius, you seem a little cute little, cute little Darius. Oh, let's make it worse. Raylan. I know, I know she's not here. Little Raylan. Austin and Lex's little girl. Oh, he's little, little. Say, say I went over. Oh, my gosh, I can't even believe it when I say this out loud. Say I went over and punched Raylan. Jeff's like, oh, my word. <laughs> it's horrific, isn't it? Like, what the f- you can't punch a baby, Matt. <laughs> Punching babies, that's like, what? And, and think about it. What, what's one of the reasons? For, it's it's that, that innocence of that person. But God is not just innocent. He's in the positive direction of righteous. So we're taking innocent to an exponential Sorry, I'm using math terms. Exponential level. I got a former math student here. He's probably like, oh, I knew he'd do it. Right? Exponent. I mean, we're, we're, we're multiplying this hugely. God's not just his greatness and importance, but also his goodness. And when you say, God, I know what you've called me to do, but I'm not going to do it. You have slapped him in the face. And said, I reject your lordship over my life. I'm going to do what I want. That's the bad news. And some, you've heard the bad news, but it hasn't computed. So I'm doing some things today. I'm trying to persuade. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I'm trying to persuade. We're in a desperate, desperate situation. The news that Jesus, what Jesus has done on the cross is good news. And good almost feels like an understatement when we start thinking about the bad news. Now you probably know what I'm going to do next. I need to talk about the bad news a little bit more. Let's, let's dig into this a little bit more. I want to cover it with three things. Uh, before I do that, two more comments. One. There are a multitude of ways to go about this, and so I struggle with trying to knit, trim it down to just one. I'm going to hit it one way. There's, the Bible's full of different routes and paths to take to talk about the good news, and when we talk about the good news, we have to hit on the bad news. So there's a multitude of ways to do this, go about this. I've, I've tried to narrow it down to one particular way, too. Talking about the bad news, I'm going to be honest, might tweak a nerve in you. That's okay. Let it, okay? So if you're hearing this bad news and it's like that pinches, that hurts, let it have its work in you. So let's start this off. Three questions. I'm going to start the first one here is what is sin, okay? The word literally means to miss the mark. 
A lot of people have a confused nature, and I've tried to hit on it a little bit about what is sin, because when we talk about the good news, sometimes people start off with the good news with mentioning the bad news. We're all sinners. But what does that really even mean? Right? What does that even mean, to be a sinner? It means to miss the mark. That's the key meaning. I'm going to read a long passage to you with one pause. This is going to be the longest passage I read. I'm going to read a long passage to you. I'm going to pause once in the middle to make a comment, but I'm going to force myself only to make one pause. And I'd like to ask you to just listen to these words from the Word of God. It comes from Romans chapter 1. And I, I hope that you hear in here something about what is sin. If you wanted to follow along in your Bibles, it's Romans 1, 18 through 32. I'm not going to put all these verses up on the slides because it's a big section. I'm going to read it through, and I would like to ask you. In fact, I'd like to encourage you to maybe even close your eyes and just soak it in. Let's hear what God has to say. Romans 1, 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And here comes my pause. I want you to listen to this next verse. I'm going to put this one up there for you. For although they, all of humanity, although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. I believe this is the core of what sin is. Knowing God, but not honoring him as God or giving thanks to him. The word itself, again, again, I said sin means to miss the mark. I would like you to notice as I continue to read that the rest of these things that I'm going to mention, even though they are sinful things and things we, cont- we tend to look at as those are the sins, I'd like you to hear that all of these things I read after this point, Paul the Apostle describes more as a consequence or a result of that core sin. Okay? Listen to what goes on. It says, um, oh, did I not have this one up there? Oh, no. Where did the rest of my verses go? Oh, that's right. I didn't have them up there. That's right. I'm going to read these next few to you. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, because they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him and turn to other things, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are 
contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit, we have this, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You see God's hand in what flows next. Listen to it. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil. Now, some of these things I mentioned earlier, just a moment ago, they didn't have on the slide. You're probably like, yeah, that's evil. But listen to the rest of these sinful things that are flowing from that initial sinful heart that does not honor God as God. Covetousness. You guys know what that means? Malice. They are full of envy. Murder. Strife. Deceit. Maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers. Haters of God. Insolent. Haughty. Boastful. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Foolish. Faithless. Heartless. Ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. This is why Romans 3, 10 through 11 says this. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. But then notice the rest of that. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So you understand when we talk about sin, if you're at a church that talks about it God's way, it's not primarily about all these outward behaviors. It's primarily about what's going on right here. Are you honoring God as God? See, all those other things flow from that, do they not? I'm not about it all as the pastor of this church. I know Paul's not about There's nothing about any good church that's worth anything that is about trying to clean up your act. Right? That's not what it's about. It's about something different. It's about honoring God as God. That's what we're here to do. All those other things flow from that. All those other things flow out of that. And so that's why wherever you're at and whatever you're like and whatever you're doing, the number one thing is not to come here and clean up your act to come here and acknowledge who God is. This is who God is. Are you doing that? In fact, if you come to church because you treat it like a program to try to get your life back on track, it's not going to work because that's not what God's church is. 
In fact, if you act and behave that way or think that way, Romans 3.19 says, and we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. In fact, knowing what is right and what is wrong and, and just making everything about those things just increases your accountability to God about the key and the core. Let's talk next about what is the consequence. Now, some of them you've seen. And notice I didn't say what are the consequences of sin. There's a plethora of consequences of sin. Some of them are immediate. Some of them are direct. Some of them are linked right now in the here and now. And some of you know exactly what some of them are. There's some sins that you can do that have consequences right away. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about what is the consequence of sin. The rejection of God as God turns into a giving over to that rejection. I think I could put it this way, actually. In some way, what God does in your rejection of him as your God and Lord, God says, okay, have what you want. Understand that there's only two ultimate paths. We're either going to say at some point to the Lord, thy will be done, or he's going to say to us, thy will be done. Okay? And what you see in all those other consequences, ultimately someone's heart that is set on, I don't want God as God, that heart being set on that, all those things that says God gave them over. God God said, okay. If that's what you're seeking, that's what you're looking, go for it. That's some of those consequences, again. But this ultimately leads to a final rejection. When you reject God as your God, he will ultimately reject you as his people. He will give you what you want. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself To God, there's going to be a point that comes where that accountability is going to happen before him. And it's ultimately going to be, was he your God or not? And when that accounting is given, Jesus himself teaches about this in a way like no other biblical writer does. Honestly, one of the biggest misconceptions that happens about the Bible is understanding the words of Christ. And I'm telling you right now, the one who talks the the most direct and harshest about this is the one who is also the the God who came to save you in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Listen to his words while he was here. We just covered this one in Luke 13. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. You see the rejection there? Their rejection of him ultimately leads to his rejection of them in an eternal fashion. Depart from me. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we talked about this, that that gnashing of teeth can also mean, and I think probably means, that gnashing of teeth, like, when, if you've been so mad, you're like, argh, argh. right? Argh. That raging against God. Understand, I do not believe that hell will simply be a place of people filled with regret. I think you're also going to have a whole lot of people that are still down there and giving God the finger and saying, I'd rather this than you. 
I'd rather burn in hell than do the things you asked me to do. That's the reality that when you reject him, there is going to be an ultimate rejection that God has for you and an ultimate permanent separation from God. And I have to tell you, hell's not going to be with, filled with a bunch of people that said, if I had to do it, there's going to be some, I think. The Bible talks about those, but I think there's going to be a whole lot of people that say, I'd take this over you any day. I think the next question, and again, we could talk about that for a much longer period of time, but I think the next question then would be, how then can we be saved? I, I included this as part of the bad news because if you really understand the bad news, it starts to feel very desperate as in how in the world could God save me? Someone who knows their own heart and sees its own wretchedness ought to have a response somewhat like that. If you sit there and you think, well, I'm pretty good already, you're not going to embrace the great news of Jesus Christ. But if you're sitting here going, I'm desperately wicked. I, I'm honestly, sometimes the things that pop up in my head, I'm, I'm, now this is not me speaking for you. I'm going to speak for myself. Sometimes the things that pop up in my head and the, the thoughts I've had, some of the things that I've done, I sit there and I go, what in the world? Sick. You ever... You ever had your own thoughts in your head and you, got, you thought, man, I'm sick, right? And sometimes we have those thoughts, man, I'm sick, and then we laugh about it a little bit, and, and we're like, yeah, I'm pretty sick. But then sometimes if you ever really think, about it, like, man, I know I'm, there's some evil stuff bouncing around up here. I hope I'm not the only one thinking that right now. <laughs> there's some wretched things. Sometimes they come out, Right? Sometimes they come out in action. Sometimes they come out in words. Jesus says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes our buckets get bumped and stuff spills out. And I hope, I hope that you have this question. How then can we be saved? How? Romans 3, I quoted verse 19, or put Romans 3, 19 up there earlier. I want to do the rest of it. it says, we're, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by, and this is the reason why I have this next verse put up there, for by works of the law. So if you, if you are trying to clean up your act and you think that's the key, I just got to clean up my act. And the bootstraps, you're pulling up the bootstraps. Trying again. I got to, you know my problem? I didn't try hard enough last time. I got to try harder this time. And you think if there's somewhere in your mind, somewhere in the back of your mind, rattling around this thought that that's what really needs to happen is I just need to do better. I want to tell you, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified. It means declared righteous in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's all the law does. The, the more you find out, I mean, there's been times where I've gone into parks. I can remember one time I went into a park down in Gatlinburg, just walking a trail, having a great old time, walking my dog. And then I came across the sign, no dogs. 
I tried to persuade my wife, well, let's just set him free. I didn't want the dog to begin with. She did not go for that. I then had to try to make it back to the car. And the whole way back, I, I, I saw everybody looking at me with those condemning looks. Look at this jerk bringing his dog. I'm probably going to step in dog poo now. Bringing his dog. Can't he read what's wrong? You know, the, the, through the law came knowledge of my own guilt. And I'm going to be honest, I felt guilty because I, I don't like breaking the rules. I used to. <laughs> right, Mom? Don't say anything, please. But I, I was trying, I mean, I thought about putting the dog, it was a little dog, put, which is, is that really a dog? I don't know. I thought about putting the dog in my jacket, you know, hiding it on the way back. I was like, I, but this is embarrassing. Through the, through the law, and that's what the law does in a person's life. In fact, the more you read the Bible, the more you start to really. We're talking about that today in James. There's a whole bunch of things in James. We read through all of the book of James in Sunday school, and it's like, wow, I'm blowing it. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff in there I'm not doing too hot on. What's wrong with me? And I'm telling you right now, if it's somewhere, even if you go, no, no, I'm, no, I'm a Christian. I trust in Jesus. I believe in him. But if somewhere rattling, even around the back of your brain, you're still thinking, my real problem is I just got to clean up my act. I'm telling you. All you're going to find is failure. All you're going to find is failure. That is not what the good news of Jesus Christ is about. At all. You can't say, well, I'm trusting in him for 90%, but there's 10%. I want to make sure I'm right before God on my own behavior. No. It can't even be 99%. No, I'm 99% trusting God, but there's 1% that you're still clinging on to. I, I, got, I got it. If, I, if I'm going to talk to God, or, and you know how this shows up sometimes? When you've done something you know is wrong, and you go to pray, and you feel like you can't do it yet until you get it, yourself cleaned up again. That is a lie from the devil. You can't have even the smallest shred of your own righteousness because it will taint all the goodness of God. It must be abandoned entirely. In what you do and how you live, none of it can be to get right before God. That is not what it's about, not at all, not even a, a just nothing. You are not righteous. And no matter what you do, if you do things and you think that's made you more righteous, you are wrong. All that does is make you more guilty. This is not about keeping the law. It's not about not getting angry. It's not about not cussing. It's not about not lusting. It's not about not doing drugs or not getting drunk or not worrying or not fearing or not being disobedient to your parents. Not, it's not about any of those things. It's not what Christianity is about. It's about Jesus and the righteousness that he has earned. It is about, in some way, the bad news, it's about not acknowledging God as your God or not living with Christ as your Lord. If you feel you are constantly plagued by failure, it might be, in some fashion, the problem is you have not yet come to that place where you've said, okay, Jesus, you're my Lord. With the Pharisees, they thought it was about keeping the law. 
And some of what Jesus is doing is attempting again and again to help them to see they're missing it. Because as good as they were, they were still not keeping all of it right. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Let that truth sink in for a moment. Let me share with you a way that it can sink in. If you walk around in the world and you look at people in the world and you think to yourself, oh, they're evil, and you don't know that you are just as evil as they are, then I think you're missing it. Because the word of God says if you fail in one point, you're guilty of all. We are all lawbreakers. We are all sinners. We are all without hope apart from Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3.10, Paul the Apostle says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Youch. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Has anybody done that? Has anybody, you've been born from birth, kept it all? Anybody? Perfectly? No. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous instead shall live by faith, not by works of the law, but by faith. Now back to the Pharisees and to Jesus. And to my question, have you ever tried to convince someone of something? And this is where, I'm going to be honest with you, there's a sadness that developed in my heart as I was looking at the last part of this. Jesus has been trying. In Luke 4, 16-30, the beginning of his ministry in Nazareth, he proclaims who he is. And the people reject him, along with the Pharisees. In Luke 4, 31-37, he heals a man with an unclean spirit on the Sabbath in front of those Pharisees. In Luke 5, 12-16, he cleanses and he saves a man with leprosy. In Luke 5, 17-26, he heals a paralytic, also forgives sins in front of the Pharisees. And it just enrages them that he's doing such a thing. You're forgiving sin? not recognizing that they were just as much in need of forgiveness of sins as that paralytic man. Christ heals and he talks to them, trying to get them to see their need and what he can do for them. In Luke 5, 27-32, he eats with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees see it and he talks to them about that. In Luke 6, 1-6, he's eating on the Sabbath, picking grain goes against what the Pharisees thought the law wanted them to do. Again, he talks to them and comments to them about this again, how they're missing, missing it. They're mi- you're missing it. You're missing it. You're thinking, you're thinking, Pharisees, that you're doing what's right. And that's what's earned you goodness before God. You're, you're thinking you're doing it, but you're missing it. In Luke 6, 7 through 11, there's a withered hand again on, this, on a Sabbath, and he heals this person in front of the Pharisees. And comments to them again. Each time he does this on the Sabbath is to help them to see that they're actually not even keeping the law. They thought they were law keepers, but they're still missing it. And he wanted them to see how they were missing it so that they would understand that they were sinners. And as people tend to respond when confronted by their own sin, they don't take it well. Luke 6, 20 through 49, there's a sermon that 
Jesus preaches and he pins or hints at a lot of these same things with the Pharisees. In Luke 7, he's with the Pharisees and forgives a woman of her sin. But first, before he does it, he pleads with them to see what's about to happen. In Luke 11, he's casting out a demon with the Pharisees again and others. And they, instead of acknowledging it and recognizing this glorious thing, and if somebody can do these things, and then he's also saying these things, I ought to listen. They don't. They try to, at this point, things start to shift. As things tend to do, as you tend to try to confront someone or share with someone the good news, and part of that's the bad news of their their sinfulness, these Pharisees tend to lash out at him and they say, you must be doing these things by the power of Satan. In other words, you're evil. It surprised me as I went through this list of interactions Jesus had with the Pharisees just in Luke leading up to this how it reminds me so much of what, how things actually go as you're talking to someone and, and challenging them and confronting them. It tends to verge from friendly, cordial visits to frustration to some, at some point they start to do what? You're evil. You're the one that's bad. And that's what the Pharisees did. In Luke 11, he's in a Pharisee's house. He specifically didn't ceremonially wash and then he spoke to the Pharisees and pronounces some woes upon them. You guys are missing it. You're missing it. And here's how you're missing it. And he says it very specifically to them. In Luke 12, he warns others about that problem that the Pharisees are having. He says, don't be like this and miss it. Thinking that you're righteous. In Luke 13, we just covered there was a woman with a disabling spirit on a Sabbath. And he heals them and he teaches them. Trying again to help them to see how they are missing it. And then we get to Luke 14, where we're at right now. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful, this probing question, is it lawful on this, to heal on the Sabbath or not? It's weird, because I hit this next verse, and I thought, I'm going to be honest with you. I think this verse is, I've skimmed over this verse a hundred times, but this verse, this verse is the turning point in Luke. Right at the end of this sentence, what's going to happen there? I want you to feel the tension here. Because he asks them this again, but they remain silent. And there's some tension. What will Jesus do next? Will he succumb to what they say? No, you, you better not heal. That's what they're saying. That's work. Wait till tomorrow. This man's got dropsy fine. You want to heal him? Wait till Monday. Right? Wait till next week sometime. And Jesus has taught them again and again from the word. No, the best thing I could do right now. In fact, this is the whole point of what the Sabbath is about. Is for these things to do good. And you guys are missing it. And so he asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they don't say anything. So you, can you feel the tension? What's Jesus going to do? I mean... I feel like if he does this again, he's done it several times and they have not responded the way they ought to in awe and wonder at the wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he can do. They could respond that way, but I think you know they're not going to. And this, I think, becomes a turning point in Luke because after this, things are going to change. 
And I wonder as I say this, how many of you have even gotten to a point like this? What's going to change? Are you finally going to acknowledge Jesus? Maybe you've just heard the good news again and again. Are you going to acknowledge him as your Lord? Or are you going to go, Psh. They remain silent. The rest of the verse is this. Then he, you feel it? I feel not a aggression, but a sadness. I mean, I could just feel what Jesus may have felt in that moment. Saying that again, in his humanity, even though he was God, he was a human being too. Imagine him in that moment saying, is it right or not? They just don't say anything. Turns to the man with dropsy. And healed him. Imagine the visible reality of someone whose legs are swollen from fluid. That would have not gone unnoticed. This healing. And instead of, you'd hope, you'd hope at this moment. I imagine him doing it. And I imagine out of the corner of his eye looking at those Pharisees one more time. Again, can't you see? If I'm doing this, there's, what I'm saying is true. If, 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 if what I was saying was a lie, I would not be able to do this. But he does it. Validating the truth claims that he makes. And he teaches them again one more time. He said to them, which of you, because they would do this, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. Again, what do you think they're going to say? And they could not reply to these things. It's amazing that while all of these things are going on, the unlikely in his world, the unlikely are entering in droves the kingdom of heaven. I hope that today, wherever you're at, you're not like a Pharisee that would say, ah. I hope instead you might be more like this man with dropsy. <laughs> or so many others that Jesus has found and have just, in their desperation, there's no pretense, there's no act, there's no show. I hope that you, when you come to this church, you're not going to try to put on, a, put on a show, like make sure you think, oh, I got to make sure they think I got it all together. Please don't do that. I don't have it all together. Nobody's got it all together. All we are is people who have come together to say, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. We owe everything to him. If you ever see in a true Christian a change of behavior, I need you to understand that it's not about them trying to keep the law. They might be working really hard to do what God has called them to do, but a true Christian does not do that out of a keeping of the law for righteousness. All that is, you're seeing an outpouring of gratitude empowered by the very Spirit of God dwelling in them now. So if you look at someone who seems like they have their act together at this church, understand if they are a true Christian, it's not because they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, right? It's not because of willpower. It's simply an outpouring of what God has done in their lives. We are all simply beggars showing other beggars where there's bread.
On that note, I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to come over here. This is what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. I want to encourage you when we do this, there's a comment I want to make in 1 Corinthians. Because if you walked into this building today and you are a Christian, you're like, I, he is my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm a screwed up, messed up individual, but I'm just... He's my say, all my hope, all my trust is in him. Then this is for you to keep reminding yourself of that goodness, that he gave his body and his blood for your righteousness. Okay? That's what that's for. His body was broken, his blood was shed, so that you could be right with God. And so if you walked in this building today and that's where you were at, I encourage you to participate. If you walked in this building and that's not where you're at, here's the crazy thing about the goodness of Jesus Christ You could have walked in this building. That's not where you're at. And that could be where you're at right now. Okay? You could have walked in here like, I don't really get it. But this, right now, you're sitting here like, I don't know what's going on, Matt. This is weird. But I was confused. Like, some of those things you were just talking about, like, I get get it now. I am a sinner. I kind of knew it already. (laughs) But so Jesus... Gave his life for me to be right with God the Father. And you're sitting there and the weirdest thing has happened. You're, you're like, I believe that's true. Lord, I, would you save me? Here's the amazing thing about it. You, know, it's, you don't have to do something. Even now, what, what happens? What happens in our hearts? We think, well, what do I need to do? That's the whole point. You can't do anything. What you're experiencing is the salvation of God being worked in your heart. And what's going to happen by his grace, it's going to be demonstrated through faith. You're going to start going, I trust him. And the amazing thing is that could have happened today. Now, I would encourage you, if that did happen or you think that happened, at some point after we're done, come up and talk to me. Say, Matt, I think this happened. I don't know. It was weird. I don't get it, but I think maybe this happened. I encourage you to come talk to me because I, I want to I wanna help you and guide you. That's, that's, that's what my role and that's what Paul's role is at this church. And actually, that's what all of these other Christians, that's what all of our roles is, is to help our brothers and sisters in Christ to grow and grow in our faith and our understanding and our knowledge of Christ. That's what Paul was sharing from the piano today. They were growing those things. But if you walked in here and that you weren't for sure, but right now you're sitting there, I think that might happen. I would encourage you to take it. If you think... I. Even if you're not sure, you're like, I, maybe, I think it did. I, I encourage you to take it and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to embrace this, I think, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to embrace it. Right? Paul the Apostle says, though, if you're in here today and you're, Jesus is not my Lord and not my Savior, and it's not about to happen this minute, Matt, you better just get off your high horse because there ain't no way you're going to get me in one sermon. Then I want to encourage you is the these guys bring this around and they pass it around. We're all not going to, nobody's going to be paying attention. I would encourage you not to grab the cup. Practical note, we have our cups, double cups. So there's two cups, one on top of the other one. There's a bread in the bottom cup and uh, the grape juice in the top cup. So grab them, grab them both. Practical note. But if you're sitting here today and you're going, no, not happening yet. I would encourage you when it comes by, just pass it on. Paul the Apostle says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What I think he means by this 
is that if you, if you were to say, I'm, he's not my Lord and my Savior, I do not accept what he did on the cross for me, but then you go ahead and do this, you're adding condemnation upon yourself in the here and now. Understand that this unworthy, this does not mean that you need to go, uh, maybe I need to wait a week and get myself cleaned up this week. No. Right? That it, that if you listen to anything, No. The salvation of Jesus Christ is for every single person, no matter where they're at. And for our new people in here today, we're going to say our mantra one time for them. Okay? Say it with me. Don't repeat after me. I'm going to say it with me. Ready? I'm a complete idiot, but my future is incredibly bright, and anybody can get in on this. That's what the gospel... So if you came in this building and you're like, I'm an idiot. You're in good company right here. You're like-minded people. <laughs> We're a bunch of idiots. But our future is incredibly bright because in our idiocy, God revealed to us the truth that there's hope in him. And we're putting all of our hope, all of our confidence in this Jesus Christ that our sin is taken care of. And we're not trying to clean ourselves up anymore. That's not what we're doing. And if you see what looks like that, that's not what's happening. It says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So I've got some guys. I don't know who they are. I've got two guys, I think. Yeah, one, two. I'm going to have them come up. I'm going to pray for this bread and this cup. I'm going to have them distribute. Why don't you just hold on to that? If you're in here today saying, I, I'm a, one who has faith in Jesus Christ, you're holding on to that hope and that trust. Would you hold on to that cup? After everybody's gotten their cup, I want you to wait, and I'll guide you through the rest. Let me pray for this bread and this cup. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for this bread. I thank you for this cup. Lord, I pray your blessing upon it right now. I pray for those in this room that for maybe for many years they put their faith, their hope, their trust in you. I pray that this would be that weekly reminder to again say, Lord, I'm still trusting in you. All my hope is in you. you your body was broken. Your blood was shed for me. Thank you. I pray, Lord, for those who maybe walked in this building today, and maybe this is the first time in their life they've ever even understood fully what this gospel message is. I ask, Lord, that today would be a day that they would say, I don't know what's happened, but I think I believe this. God, I pray that you would encourage their faith by your grace. And Lord, I pray that as they partake in this today, they will grow in confidence of the goodness of who you are. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those in this room that do not know this or trust it or believe it. I pray that you would help them to not participate, but I pray that you would do a work in them or begin that work in them of burning up in their hearts to trust in you. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen.
Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had broke it, he gave thanks, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And may he come quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your good, glorious news. Lord, as we wait for your coming, and we continue to participate in this, Lord, just seeking to remember the good thing that you've done for us and the good news of who you are and what you've done and how you lived and how your salvation is open to all of us. I thank you for these things, and I pray now that you would bless us through this week with our continued remembrance of this in all of our actions and all the things that we do. In Christ's name, amen. You guys are dismissed.